All right, everybody, with the show of hands, how many of you have ever done any home remodeling? Can I see you? Most of you. You know, 21 years ago, uh, just about a year into Palm Harvest Church, Robin and I were, had the opportunity to buy our first home here in Costa Mesa. And over the years of being homeowners, and I'm sure a lot of you probably will relate to this, that we have been engaged in this deconstruction, reconstruction journey. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when we first uh, moved into our house with our two daughters, Gina and Casey, uh, you know, we uh, stripped wallpaper and we painted walls. And with the help of Joe Banning, we put crown molding in, in all of the rooms. Remember that, Joe? Those were great, great, great experience. You know, we, um, over the subsequent years, we've removed walls, kitchen walls, we've raised uh, ceilings, we've changed out our windows. You know, more recently, we, we had to, um, well, we gutted and we completely remodeled our bathroom, but part of that process involved uh, replacing all of our copper water lines with PEX because we kept uh, springing leaks and what really uh, kind of pushed it forward to throw my... Uh, Joe under the bus is when we were setting a uh, building kind of the kitchen remember this Joe we were putting like the, the kitchen island and we had to run electricity and so we were breaking out the concrete and when Joe hit the concrete he also captured to capture the copper line and it was it was great it was a fun experience and you all know what I'm talking about right life and like life and home ownership is a lot like a reconstruction deconstruction zone well, church, would you also agree with me when I suggest that the Christian life, our relationship with Jesus, is also kind of a deconstruction, reconstruction journey, right? We just don't overnight become saints. Any saints in the house? Uh, uh, no, no, no saints, right? It takes time to, you know, even with God's help, it takes time for us to just kind of deconstruct old habits, and reconstruct new ones. You know, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It takes time to be a patient driver on the freeway out here in, in uh, Orange County, right? Uh, life is, like our spiritual journey, it's a little bit uh, of a journey. But here's, I, I share all this with you because I want you to look for sort of the good news of, of this in our our story, which is a deconstruction, reconstruction story. This is the big idea that we're going to talk about today. And so if you're taking notes in our Palm Harvest app, write this down. And that is, Jesus meets me where I'm at. Jesus meets me uh, where I'm at. So when we are in a deconstruction, reconstruction kind of transition, which is what home ownership is all about, which is what our spiritual journey is all about. Many of you are, might say that you are in a deconstruction, reconstruction zone right now. What I want you to know and what I want you to look for in our Bible story today is how Jesus meets me where I'm at. So if you have a Bible, whether it's in paper or digital form, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 21. John chapter 21, uh, this is just, remember last week was Easter? Seems like so long ago. And uh, we're going to be picking up a story in the days that took place after, after Easter. Now before we do, uh, let's, let's pause. Let's, would you join me for a prayer And as I start today? So again, as I always, always like to encourage you to, kind of open the palms of your hand. Let's all kind of take a deep breath. You know, take a deep breath, inhale and hold it. 
Now exhale. You know, as we inhale, we're saying, God, I want your spirit to fill me up. So can take this deep breath and just say, God, I want your spirit to fill me up. And as you exhale, just push away that to-do list and all the concerns that you might have today. Inhale, exhale. Now pray this in your heart. Heavenly Father, please teach me today as I dig into your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Everybody said, amen. Good. Okay, John chapter 21. Going to start reading at verse 1. And as always, try to picture the scene in your mind. So later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, who we know were James and John. John was Jesus' best friend. And two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now write this down, point number one in your notes. When navigating transition, we naturally return to what feels safe. When navigating tradition or transition, we naturally return to what feels safe. Church, here in verse 2, we are introduced to a man by the name of Peter. Do you all remember who Peter was? Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, but more than that, we know that Peter is one of Jesus' best friends, right? He's a leader among Jesus' early followers. Now, who can tell me? Do you remember what Peter did for a living prior to Jesus inviting him to sort of join his posse? Remember? That's right. Luke chapter 5 tells us that Peter was a professional fisherman. So it's not completely weird for us to read about Peter and a few of his buddies going fishing. Um, But what is sort of weird and what strikes me as somewhat odd is the timing of Simon Peter's fishing. Do y'all remember what big event happened just days earlier on Easter Sunday morning? You know, after Jesus was crucified on the Roman cross... After he died, after he was in, you know, a rock tomb, we're told, for for three days, buried, the Bible tells us that Jesus did what? Jesus rose rose from the dead, didn't he? On Easter Sunday morning, Jesus defeated death and sin and, and really the devil. And with his resurrection, Jesus demonstratively backed up his claim that he is the son of God, right? That who loves us and who wants to be in relationship with us. But think about this. If you were one of Jesus' disciples and really one of Jesus' key leaders, one would think that after Jesus rose from the grave, you would be so amped up that the last thing that you would want to do is go fishing. I mean, brothers and sisters, why isn't Peter out preaching to the masses about Jesus? Why isn't Peter gathering the early church saints? Why is Peter fishing? You got any ideas? Do y'all remember what happened on the night of Jesus' crucifixion involving Peter? Bible tells us in John chapter 8 that Peter denied that Jesus was his what? Was his friend, right? Not once, not twice, but three times. The fact that Peter is out fishing instead of out preaching suggests to me, and maybe it does you too, that Peter's feeling tremendous 
remorse, and maybe even a little bit of guilt as a result of denying that Jesus was his friend. In fact, I propose that Peter was probably feeling a little disqualified from being one of Jesus' disciples. I mean, think about this in your own life. Have you ever done something that you felt regret about or maybe guilt about? You know, have you ever said some words to someone, maybe to a loved one, and then as soon as you said it, you just went, ah, man, if I could just have those words back, I would take them. You know, if you have, then you likely can relate to what Peter is, is feeling. And if you put yourself in Peter's sandals and you try to feel the weight of his friendship betrayal, you will understand that what we're reading here is a story about a man whose spiritual journey is in transition. Peter is in a deconstruction, reconstruction zone. The water pipes have broken, so to speak. And friends, when our lives are thrust into a season of transition, when our spiritual journey gets thrown out of balance, when we experience change in our life and we experience moments of surprise, we naturally return to what feels safe. We naturally return to what feels comfortable. And for Peter, his safe place was fishing. You know, can you identify a time in your life when you experienced transition? You know, maybe for some of you right now, you're in a season of transition. So ponder this. Where is your safe place that you turn to when you feel stressed? You know, what do you lean on to gain stability when change hits your world? You know, how many of you find solace in chocolate? Just one hand, just Margaret and I only. <laughs> How many of you uh, find yourself binge watching Netflix shows? Any binge watchers in the house? You know, maybe for some of you, you know, for uh, you like to be with people, right? When you're facing transition. Others of you would rather be alone. You like to want to just take a t uh, walk on the beach or out in the park all by yourself. You know, for me, I like to ride my motorcycle. Or maybe read my Bible when I'm trying to gain clarity. Maybe for others of you, you might depend on a glass of wine or two when life gets bumpy. Listen, I'm not suggesting that going back is a bad thing. It's just, it's just simply important for us to realize that when we experience transition, we naturally go back to what we know. We naturally return to what feels safe. So I want you to pay attention and how, to how in this Bible story, Jesus meets Peter where he's at, right? And really what this Bible story illustrates to me and what hopefully it will to you, as well as that Jesus loves you even when you're not at the top of your game. Jesus loves me even when I don't have it all together. I think even more so, this Bible story also showcases that even spiritual giants can get sidetracked. That even mature believers can get thrown off course. And when we do, this Bible story illustrates how Jesus meets us where we're at. And so where are you at today in your, in your relationship with God? You know, would you say that maybe for some of you, you're in this deconstruction, reconstruction zone. 
So let's pray another prayer, okay? So again, open the palms of your hand like you want to receive a gift from the Lord. Take a deep breath, exhale, and then just pray this in your heart. Say, Jesus, please meet with me today right where I'm at. And please comfort me and strengthen me. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, let's keep reading. Look again at verse three. So Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, verse three. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing at night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out fellows, or maybe some of your uh, translations might say children, or in the Greek language, it's lads, lads, have you caught anything? Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then Jesus said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. You know, I think it's important for us to understand that in that day and age, it wasn't uncommon. It was not uncommon to use a spotter when you would go fishing. You know, when a fisherman was out in their boat, someone oftentimes would, would, would stand along the shoreline and from a different angle, they would kind of look out on the water to see where maybe the fish were, were boiling. Uh, I've told you the story before. Kirk and I were fishing one time in, in Lake Shasta and the bass were just jumping all around our boat and we, could, we didn't catch a single fish, but they were there. They were jumping. They were just like going, look at us, look at us, right, you know. You know, or, or if, if any of you have ever gone fishing out in the ocean, I know Bryce, Betsy, you know, Karen, you guys have. And if you've ever gone fishing for like Dorado or, or tuna, for example, I'm not really sure how they, I've never fished for tuna, but I have for Dorado. And a lot of times what we'll do is we will send somebody up to like the crow's nest or somebody up high with a set of binoculars and you'll look for like where the kelp patties are or maybe where the birds might be con congregating, all of which could be an indicator of where the fish are might be found. And so I submit that Peter and his boys, as former professional fishermen, prior to joining Jesus's posse, they understand the, the value of outside help, especially after a night of catching nothing, right? Especially after a night of getting skunked, which is why we call it fishing and not catching, right? So the Bible writer tells us that when this spotter on the shoreline suggests that they toss their nets to the other side of the boat, to the right side of the boat, Peter and the other six disciples do just that. And when they do, what happens? They hit the mother low, don't they? Which brings us to point number two. When navigating transition, be watchful and open to serendipitous input. When navigating transition, be watchful and open to unexpected, unsolicited, serendipitous input. You know, brothers and sisters, have you ever experienced a time in your life when you were praying about something? Praying about your next steps when out of the blue, God brought somebody into your life at just the right moment to maybe help you, direct and guide you, maybe even just encourage you. I have. 
And I've experienced in my life, and I suspect that some of you have too, that what the Bible story illustrates here is that when navigating transition, I've learned the value of being watchful and open to serendipitous input. Why? Because Jesus meets me where I'm at. And many times God's Holy Spirit will guide me. But here's the hard part. I'm not gonna say it's easy. This is the hard part. It's at this point that we then must practice some faith, take a risk, and act on that serendipitous input. Okay, look again at verse six. So Jesus said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. Nothing better than fishing with a naked man, right? So he puts on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with a boat and pulled a loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards, 90 meters from shore. Let's stop there for a second. Think about this. Does Jesus's instruction, does Jesus's input to throw the nets to the other side of the boat sound familiar to anybody? It should. This is what we might call a deja vu moment. Deja vu moment, right? This is, this is what we might call, I've been here before moment. Because if you read the Bible and you go back to Luke chapter five, verses four to nine, this fishing experience really is a replay of when Jesus first called his fishermen to follow him. And now three and a half years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, after Peter's denial, while these early believers are trying to navigate this new spiritual worldview, John, Jesus' best friend, who's in the boat with these guys, connects the dots. It is the Lord, John proclaims. And you know what we call John's response, don't you? That's what we call an aha moment. That's when the light goes on, when the, the puzzle pieces come together and you see sort of this, this bigger picture. But notice point number three, that when navigating transition, we all respond differently. When navigating transition, we all respond differently. Church, how did Peter respond after John told him that it was Jesus on the shore? What does verse seven say? He jumped out of the boat, doesn't he? Right? The Bible says that, that he jumps, he gathers his gear together, he dives into the water, and then he starts swimming for shore. And then we read that the rest of the disciples jump out of the boat and into the water and start swimming towards shore too, right? That's, is that what the Bible says? How many guys jump out of the fishing boat and swim to shore? Show me with your fingers. How many, how many guys? Just one. Just one? Who was who? Which is who? Only Peter. So think about this. 
Why did Peter, why did only Peter jump out of the boat? You know, what does Peter's boat jumping suggest about how Peter is feeling? Do you think Peter's feeling excited, yes or no? Yes. And so Peter's excited to see Jesus and jumps out of the fishing boat and swims to shore. What might be suggested about the other fishermen who decide to stay in the boat? Are they not excited to see Jesus? Are they feeling kind of ho-hum about the fact that Jesus is appearing to them on the shore? Why does only one guy jump out of the boat? I propose it's because when navigating transition, we all respond, help me out, differently. Brothers and sisters, God has wired each of us uniquely. Look at the people sitting around you. Take a look. Take a good look. You know, you are unique. I am unique. How many of you, how many of you like waking up early before the rooster crows, right? How many of you like staying up late to watch the stars in the sky, right? Yeah. Some of you like food that is spicy. Others of you like food that is boring. I mean mild. Some of you like to live life with a plan. Some of you like to roll and go. How many people like to live with the plan? How many people like to roll and go? Exactly. And thus, when navigating transitions, we all respond, help me out, differently. Church in our Bible story, who was it who recognized Jesus first among the disciples? It wasn't Peter who identified Jesus on the shoreline, but rather who? It was John, wasn't it? And you know what that illustrates, don't you? It means that if I want to successfully spiritually navigate life transitions, I need you. And if you want to successfully spiritually navigate life transitions, guess what? You need me. So turn to your neighbor and say, you need me. Now turn back to your neighbor and say, I need you. Brothers and sisters, when navigating transition, we need each other. Why? Because we all respond, help me out, differently. Okay, so let's wrap up our story. Go back to verse 8. So Peter jumps out of the boat, verse 8. And the others were told, stay with the boat and pull the loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Picture this in your mind. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Mm, nothing like a good breakfast after a long night of fishing. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Now write this down, point number four in your app notes. 
When navigating transition, share the journey with Jesus. When navigating transition, share the journey with Jesus. You know what my favorite part of the story is, right? It's the part where Jesus has the breakfast waiting for his crew. How many of you like breakfast? Thank you, Joe. I love breakfast. You know, when Peter and his disciples finally get to shore with their mother load of catch a fish, Jesus already has, we're told, a charcoal fire burning, right, with fish frying over it. Can you picture that scene in your mind? You know, can you hear the sound of fish sizzling? You know, when I would ever go, I don't do this much often, but whenever I go backpacking with Jack Lester, one of the things he taught me years ago, and I, I practice it all the time, is there's nothing better at lunch than going out around lunchtime, catching some trout out of the stream, pulling it out, pulling out my, my little fire kit, and frying it up right then and there for like two minutes after you catch it. It's amazing. Now, don't miss this. Didn't Jesus earlier in his ministry feed a group of 5,000 people with only five biscuits and two sardines? Do you remember that miracle? So if Jesus illustrated his ability to multiply a few fish and chips, right, to feed a crowd of 5,000, and even bigger than that, raise himself from the dead on Easter Sunday, church, don't you think that Jesus had proven that he has the spiritual, supernatural capacity to feed himself and seven of his disciples? What do you think, yes or no? So why then, why then does Jesus ask in verse 10 for the guys to bring some of the fish that they had caught when he already had breakfast prepared? Did Jesus need their fish, yes or no? No. So why make the ask? Would you write this down somewhere in the margin of your notes? Jesus wants me to join him. Jesus wants you, he wants me to join him on mission. Get this, even when I don't have my life all together, even when my life is in transition and I don't have my stuff in place. This Bible story illustrates how Jesus meets me where I'm at and he invites me to join him on mission. Friends, Jesus has the capacity to do things on his own, but he doesn't. He wants you to join him. He wants you to bring along your talents. He wants you to throw in your interesting quirks and hang-ups. And you guys don't have any interesting quirks and hang-ups, do you? He wants you to throw in your unique color. He loves it when I use motorcycle riding in my sermon illustrations, doesn't he? God loves it when you take your unique personality, your love for Dixon flannels or fishing or whatever it might be. He loves it when you bring all of that together. But most importantly and most of all, Jesus simply wants us, he wants to join us. 
Jesus wants to join you. He wants to join me. And so when navigating transitions, brothers and sisters share the journey with Jesus. So in closing, let me just say this. How many of you feel, and this is up to you if you want to raise your hand or not. I would love to know. How many of you feel like you're in a bit of a deconstruction, reconstruction zone right now? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of us are. That's the Christian life. And so I want to suggest to you that this story is for you. That the message of this story is for me. So whether you were here in person or tuning in line on, online, I suspect that there's a good chance that some of us are getting poked, yes? And when God's Holy Spirit pokes us, that's a good thing. So hear me clearly on this. Jesus wants you to know that he is with you. Jesus wants you to know that he wants to come along on your journey with you. You're not alone. That's good news. And so as we close our time together, as, as David and the band come back up on stage, let's, let's pray another prayer together again. Okay, so put the, open the palms of your hand and we're going to pray a prayer together. As always, again, let's take a deep breath. Everybody inhale together. Hold it. Now exhale. Now pray this prayer in your heart. Open your mind, open your heart. Say, Jesus, I offer you myself. Jesus, I offer you myself, the good and the bad, the messy and the clean. Please use me. I want to join you on mission and I want you to join me in my journey. This is my prayer. And everybody said...